Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I want to know, how are, you, how are you filled up with royalty for the weekend? How many of you watched the wedding or any of the comings and goings? Okay. Many of you. Many of you did. You know, I thought, I thought going into the weekend that I could not be less interested in a royal wedding until I got to the weekend. And then I started watching it, and I realized this is so much better than the news that's usually on. This is so much better. This is love and raptured love and romance. And I was enthralled, and I watched it. And if you saw the Reverend, I think, the, Rev, the most right Reverend Curry, uh, the Episcopalian bishop speak, he spoke on love. He was strumming my heartstrings. What a guy. What a message in the, in the uh, uh, medieval cathedral there in England. So I was happy that that message of love was going around the world. It was pretty, it was pretty exciting to me. This morning we're back in Luke, and uh, as we begin to look at this passage, I, I was reminded that it was 6.30 in the morning, on a Sunday morning, that I was sitting at my son's bedside. You've heard some of this story before. Uh, my son was 21 years old, a senior in college, and he'd been in a terrible traffic accident, a car crash, and he had a traumatic brain injury. And I was at his bedside, and uh, as, as it goes, when you're in a time of crisis, the sobbing comes and goes, and it was just at the point when it was coming that the neurosurgeon came in. Early, it wasn't even light yet, and I was in the room by myself with Doug, and um, he walked in, and I said to him, kind of wiping my eyes, I said, don't worry about the tears, just uh, tell me what I need to know. Give me the information. He said, well, he said, your son, and he, by the way, he was brief, and he was direct, and he had this much bedside manner, zero, right? Which I didn't care. I just want a good doctor. I want a, a good neurosurgeon. I want the truth, and I want it straight. And he gave it to me. He said, uh, your son's condition is very dire. He said he has had a diffuse axonal brain injury, and the prognosis is not good. He said, I need you to know that a third of these do not wake up, and if he does, don't expect much. He may not be able to take care of himself. He says, you need to be ready. He said something I thought was kind of strange, but he said, this is one of those situations that could become one of these national ethics cases where you have to make a decision because there's no brain activity and yet he's on life support and you may have to decide how long to keep your son on life support. It could be one of those situations. This could be a very long, very difficult road ahead and you have to be ready. You have to be ready. Do you understand me? Yes. I will see you later. With that, he walked out the door. And that was a wake up. I'd been up for 24 hours at that point. Now I was awake. And and, and alone in the room, I, I pondered his comments. I played them over and over in my head. I was looking for some ray of hope, some silver lining in what he said. And I realized in that moment that I was going to have to make sense of this And the only way I was going to is if I simply trusted God. I mean, 
egads. When you're in a spot where actually you actually have to just trust God and it's all you have. You know, what, what a terrible position to be in, right? Um, two days later, I wrote these words to update friends and family on how Doug was doing. And I, I was looking through this last night, um, and this really said what I felt at that moment. And I remember writing these words. We don't know what will be the extent of our son's recovery. It's pretty for, horrific for us as parents. And if you know Doug, you know he's a guy filled with life and energy. So I'm praying for God to heal him, but God knows. He can if he wants, and to what extent he decides. And I don't care about theology at this point. I don't care about the theology of prayer. I don't care about the theology of healing. I don't care about the theology of God's sovereignty in hidden behind those words were, in case any of you wanted to lecture me, I don't care. I trust God, and he is quite theologically astute. I can trust him with a theology, and I do trust him with my son. This is the scariest and worst time of our lives. We don't want it, but we will walk through this and continue to care for our son as we have since the day he was born. And some of them asked how they could pray, and I said, how can you pray? Pray that God would allow Doug to come out of this coma to be able to get off his respirator, get into rehab, and recover as fully as possible. Pray that we will all learn the love of God more in this process. I trust God. It's everything else in life that's the problem. So the rest of the story, of course, is that three months later, the doctors would call it a best-case scenario bordering on the miraculous, which I was happy to receive. And then 18 months later, we realized that he was 100%. There was just not going to be any residual from this. So, yeah, thank you. Hallelujah. Um, Friday, Debbie and I spent some time with both our sons and our daughters-in-law and with both, both of our grandsons. And as we were backing out of the driveway, Doug and Keisha were sitting on the front step of their home, and Keisha had little Cash in her lap. Cash is my grandson, Cash with a K, not a C. And as they were sitting there all smiling, we're backing out of the driveway. You know how you did, in a moment I just relived and remembered the fall of 2014. And I said to my wife, right now my heart at this moment could not be happier. Because, you know, we wondered, would they ever, would this young couple ever be able to get together? Would there ever be a future? Would there ever be a job and, and kids and all that? So I'm thinking maybe that you're in a crisis right now. Egads, maybe you're in a spot where all you can do is trust God. Is it really such a horrible spot to be in? Um, maybe the future is a big question mark for you. Or there's a situation in life that you don't know how it's going to end or how it's going to work out. Could be a relationship that's in chaos. Maybe it's a family member, a son or a daughter or a parent. Maybe it's a neighbor. Or maybe it's a, a work colleague and, and it's, it's, it's just embroiling you every day and you're losing sleep over it. You don't know how this is going to turn out. And you've tried everything yourself and it doesn't seem to be helping at all. It could be that things at work are just not going the way you'd like them to. You're not sure if you should stay or go. And if you go, you're going to go to what? Do you keep what you have, or do you look for something else? 
Maybe your job is just not challenging enough, but you just can't keep on doing it. You feel stuck. Maybe your crisis is financial. Maybe it's that too much month left at the end of the paycheck, right? And you're just feeling squeezed. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you've got piles of money and you just are stressed trying to manage it and to keep the piles from dwindling. You know, there's stress on both sides of the money equations, not just when you have a lack. Maybe, maybe you're in that stage of life where you've got young kids and they just seem to be sucking the life out of you. You just feel like you just need sleep and a clear path through the living room wouldn't be bad either once in a while. And if you have to change one more blown-out diaper, you're going to lose all sense of smell for the rest of your life. And uh, it could be, with your young kids, it could be sickness, could be learning challenges, could be developmental challenges. You're just concerned. You're scared. You don't know what the future... Maybe it's a teenager. Talk about egads. Sometimes the teenage years, they pass with the speed of dog years, right? One year seems like seven years when your kids are in high school sometimes. You wonder if you have what it takes to successfully launch your high schooler into adulthood. You're tired of the tension in your home, and you can't wait for your kid to just become your friend. You know it's going to happen. You just hope you survive to enjoy it. But maybe you're just at the end of a, a stage in your life that you see is coming to an end. You just don't know what's in front. There's a lot, lot of blank spaces that haven't been filled in yet. A lot of question marks. And you're struggling. You're facing a ton of unknowns. How do we get through difficult times with any degree of peace and joy? How do we walk in faith when everything around us is in turmoil and chaos and crisis? When challenges and question marks are piling up on our lives, how do we handle it? Well, thankfully, God does give us some clues in his word, right? And in the passage we find ourselves at in Luke, God leads us in some helpful directions in this area of trusting God when everything around us seems to be in chaos. So as we're in Luke chapter 8, we're all the way up to verse 22, but remember at the beginning of Luke, Luke wrote this orderly account for this guy named Theophilus, and he wrote it about all the things that had been fulfilled in that day. And so he began to, to stitch together. He got all these accounts, and he, he cut and paste, and he pieced them all together, and they make up this book, chapter 1 through 24, of Luke's gospel. And in the passage that we're in, we've got in chapter 7, we have the centurion's faith. I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel as this guy who came to me and asked me to come and heal his servant. Jesus raising up the widow's dead son. He stops the funeral procession and he, he literally has the boy come back to life. Jesus is anointed, anointed by a woman in Simon the Pharisee's house, this woman who had lived a very sinful life. The parable of the sower was last week. The farmer going out and scattering the seed, and it's falling on this different, four different kinds of soil, and Jesus is actually the farmer, and the seed is the good news of the kingdom of God. So 
Now, right before he sends out the 12, Luke writes about how he calms the storm, how he restores this guy possessed by demons, how he raises this little girl back to life, and how he heals this woman who has been sick for 12 years. This is all throughout the rest of chapter 8 of Luke. And then we get to chapter 9 where he sends out the 12, and by the end of the chapter, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, and he's going on that journey to where he is going to provide redemption. But tucked away in Luke's gospel are these four little verses about this event on a ship. We're all familiar with it, but I want to tease some things out of this, now having talked about the context around it a little bit, and ask the question, why did Luke, why did Luke put this passage here? What is he trying to teach his readers about themselves, about the disciples, about who Jesus was? So the passage begins in verse 22. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. How many of you have trouble falling asleep? Would you raise your hand if you did? Okay, oh yeah, look, 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 people having, yeah, I do sometimes, last night I did, I went to bed at 10 minutes to 12, and I was still awake at 12.45, so you can grade the message, you know, based on, on that, and then I woke up again, and sometimes I wake up and my wife is awake, in the, you know, in the glow of the phone or the tablet, and we, we, some, it's hard, Jesus just fell asleep. He fell asleep on this boat. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were, they were in great danger. The disciples went and they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked the disciple, oh, come on, Jesus, don't pull that on us. You're always pulling that on us. We're right about to die, and you ask us where our faith is. I mean, that's what I would say if I were them, but I'm not them. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. There had only been one miracle that Luke recorded up to this point. It was that catch of fish where he said, put the nets in. And they're like, all right. All these fish came in. Now this is the second nature miracle where, I mean, it's just a storm on the lake where they weren't near the shore. And it's deep. That lake is deep where they were. And they didn't have those round life preservers like we have today, right? I think regulations say you have to have so many in your boat, right, for your people. Certain age, they've got to have them. They didn't have that back then. And if they were to go into the water, based on the weather at the time, the best swimmer wasn't going to make it. So they woke him up saying, we're going to drown. So a couple things in this, in this section that I noticed. Jesus said to them, let us go to the other side. Let us. You know, 
Jesus said, as the Father sends me, so I am sending you. He said that to his disciples. And we, I think, appropriately put some of that on ourselves, that we're sent ones from Jesus. Jesus sends us out as his body, gifted by his spirit, with the authority of God the Father, to go out into the world and to make a difference and to proclaim good news. But Jesus also says over and over, he says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Don't be afraid. I won't leave you or forsake you. I'm going to be with you. He says that over and over. And he said to the disciples, let us together, let us go over to the other side. So whatever it is in your life that you're facing, whatever it is in my life that I'm facing, and for the most part, most of us, I would say 51% or more of us are facing some stuff in our lives right now. Let's not forget, he's with us. He's with, he doesn't abandon us in it. But then he says something. He says, let us go over to the other side of the lake. He says, we're here right now. We've got to go over there. Why did Jesus do stuff? Remember what he had said earlier? Hey, I've got to go to the other towns also and preach the good news of the kingdom to them. I can't just stay here. There are other towns that need me. And undoubtedly, Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, we're here, we've got ministry on the other side of the lake. We're here, but our mission is over there. So we have to go. Well, there has to be change. We're on mission and there's going to be a change. Some of us, I mean, most of us, I don't really like change. I mean, I like, cha- I like the thought of change. And I, I like, the, the, I like the, the dynamic of change. But when you actually have to change stuff, sometimes it's hard. Like, how many of you like Diet Coke? I like Diet Coke. Oh, come on, more of you do. You're just not raising your hands. But when I drink Diet Coke, I like to have it in a certain cup. And I like there to be a certain amount of ice in it. I don't like the crushed ice. I like the cubed ice, right, the solid ice. And if it's less or more, it doesn't taste right to me. So if I have somebody else get it for me, I never, I don't really, I, like, I just as soon do that because I want a certain amount, I want everything the same. See, and just, that's just a silly little thing, but there are things in our lives that we, we want control because we like it the way we like it. And yet God wants to put us in situations where when we go out on mission to do the next thing, or God's calling us to the next stage in life, we often have to go through changes and challenges and crises, and we just have to trust God. But God says, hey, we've got to go. We can't stay here. We've got to go over there. And that's going to perhaps involve, like it did here, they were, not maybe, they were in great danger. And for you to go to the place that you need to be, it might mean that you have to go through danger. But God is with you. And Jesus is asking, where is your faith? Something else I saw in this, and that's, the, I guess, number three, is where, where is your faith? Where is it? Do you believe, he said to his disciples. Do you believe? And I think what you could hear in this is, where is your faith? I'm right here. I I was here the whole time. I was just underneath sleeping. I mean, you saw me sleeping, right? Why were you so, like, concerned? If you saw me freaking out, then you could freak out. Jesus, I wasn't freaking out. Where is your faith? Um. I heard this many, many years ago, and I've reworded it. I think it's so true. 
in this particular passage. It is better to go through the storm with Jesus Christ than never to go through a storm at all. It's better to go through a storm with Jesus than to never go through a storm. Like, what if, what if you never went through a storm? What if you were always safe and the, the sea was always calm, the surface like glass, little birds flying around, and sunshine? Well, you'd be such a wimpy... I can't use all the other words I'm thinking of in front of people. You'd just be like... You'd be nothing. You need resistance. You need hardship. You need tough. We all need that. It is, but don't go through the storm alone because you might drown if you go through it alone. But when you go through it with Jesus, Jesus takes you through it to make you stronger, not to abandon you in the middle of it. See, Jesus takes you through it while you're on your way to do a mission, while you're on your way to do ministry, while you're on your way to serve others, to love others, to give to others. And then Jesus is there with you through it. In this passage, Luke shows how the disciples learned um, three things. Who Jesus really was. He wasn't just a prophet, wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just like Elijah come back to proclaim you know, that, 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 that the, the kingdom is near. He was God. He was like in control. He was the guy that nature bowed to. When he said it, it happened. This was scary to them. This was scary to a lot of people. And the next passage is the passage where Jesus puts out the demons out of this guy, and they ask to be sent into the pigs. And it says that like 2,000 pigs go over the edge into the lake. It says the people that owned and were watching over the pigs, they were freaked out. They were scared. Like, who has this power? This is scary stuff to them. Jesus has authority, and he has power. And Luke is teaching, is teaching us through his account of the disciples that we can know that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a teacher, but he's divine with some divine attributes. And Jesus, number two, possesses real authority, even over nature. And again, it's not just that he's a great teacher, but what he says happens. What he directs is fulfilled. It actually happens. And so their faith is in not just another person or a friend who can support them, but in the God of the universe who's actually in control. And lastly, however great the peril, Jesus is aware of it and he is able to deliver. However, however great the problem, this was a big problem where they were. Now, we're all in this climate-controlled room. And I, I think it was last week, and I think it was in this service, that, that I also displayed some power. Like it was, the weather in here it was really warm with just a few words. It got really cool in here. So I just commanded, and the weather changed. Paul pushed a few buttons and lowered it a few degrees, right? And here it's hard for us to imagine, and then if you've been out on the water a lot, you might know, you might have experienced it. When you got out and you got a little bit too far out from the shore and you saw the weather coming, but you didn't think it was coming your way or you didn't think it was coming that fast, and all of a sudden it's on you and you know you can't get to shore before it's going to hit. That's where these guys were at. They were in trouble. 
but Jesus was able to deliver them, and they knew, as most of them as professional fishermen, or at least familiar with that, they knew, they knew that if Jesus was able to handle that, he was able to handle anything. So again, it's better to go through a storm with Jesus than never to go through a storm. And you might be going through a real crisis in your life, a real situation. And Luke is trying to teach us through this account with the disciples that Jesus is able to handle this. So today I'm concerned about a situation in my life. And I'm having to trust God with it because I don't know how it's going to end up. So in in 10 days, a week from Wednesday, um, I'm going to show up at my mom's house in New York State at her door. She's not going to know I'm coming. And I'm going to, hey, Mom, how you doing? Hey, you know how you've been living in this house for 33 years? Guess what we're doing this weekend? We're going to move you to a new place. It's so much better. You'll have staff, and they'll take care of you. So my sisters took her on Mother's Day last week. They took her to this place. They showed her this great apartment. They showed her the the furnished one first, right? The show apartment. So nice. And they took her to the other one, just like that one, only no, nothing in it. Mom, your stuff can be in here. Isn't this a great place? We thought we could just kind of like, like back her into her parking spot, but it didn't work that way. Because I called her Monday night and she said, did you hear about where I went this weekend? I'm like, yeah, Mom. She says, what do you think? Mom, this is great. This is just what you need. I told you you've been thinking about, should be thinking about, promise me you'll think about downsizing. You said you would. She's like, no. I mean, because of the dementia and because of her aging, she can't even speak a whole sentence out. So as I share her sentiments, they don't come out that way. They come out in bits and pieces. But no, no, it was good. It's a great place for the people that are there, but not for me. I I just can't see myself there. Uh, I'm not going to leave my house. So I called my two sisters they weren't even phased, not even phased, because they've been taking care of her for so long. And they're like, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, she's going. She's going. We cannot do this anymore, Jeffrey. They call me Jeffrey. We cannot do this anymore. You're just going to have to show up. And because of the dementia, because of the fogginess, and we really can't tell her ahead of time. She's by herself in the house night after night. So I'm going to just show up. And so I'm trusting God I'm trusting that Jesus has authority over the weather. He has authority over death. He has authority over sickness and even confused relationships because of dementia. And that Jesus can help me have a weekend of some semblance of peace and fulfillment of my mom being able to take care of herself. So many of the folks in the first service, so many of you, You've already been there, done this, right? You've already done this with your folks. You know, you know what I'm going to be doing. So thank you for praying for me. But, but to go and do it, I am trusting God. I am trusting that as her kids, the four of us, are making the right decision. We're making the decision that she would have made 20 years ago or that my dad would have made 20 years ago if he had the opportunity to make it. And maybe, maybe you... Um, Maybe you're facing something in your life where, oh my goodness, oh, I have to trust God. Oh, 
I like hearing about it, but I don't like actually having to do it. I hate it when I'm backed into this corner where, oh my goodness, the only thing I can do is trust God? Are there any other choices? Well, maybe you're in that spot where conventional wisdom says it's unenviable. It's the unenviable position of having to just trust God. You know, when, when my wife and I were going through a couple things where all we could do was trust God, I remember us saying to each other one time, oh, wouldn't it be nice that when we got out of this situation and we didn't have to anymore, we just trust him anyway? Just for the fun of it, right? And the, and the, the, the misconception is, when, do we ever have, when can we ever really not trust God? It's, it's, it's a myth in our human minds that we can control our lives somehow and that there are times when we don't really need to trust God. God, no, 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 I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll, I'll call you when it gets bad. I'll call you when I really need your help. We, we always need his help. So what is it for you? What is it for you this morning? What is the situation in your life that keeps you up at night? What's the relationship in your life that you lose sleep over? Jesus might just want to know one thing from you. Where is your faith? And why are you afraid? The other gospel writers recorded this ship and storm incident. And they recorded Jesus saying, why are you guys so afraid? Maybe we need to hear that from God. Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? I'm here. So whatever situation you find yourself in, just remember this, it's better to go through a storm with Jesus than to sail smooth seas all the time. 